We are pivoting in God's Word today. We are going through the book of Romans, and we're now going to do a few Christmas sermons, and, but we're sticking on theme because the Christmas sermons are coming from a, a Christmas song written by Martin Luther. Look in your bulletins and you will see the Christmas hymn that has led to our, our whole theme this year, which is the joy of all the earth. Why do we have people reading in Hungarian, you know? Not just to be like, look, but because it's on theme. The joy of all the earth. Jesus is worthy of praise in every nation, tribe, and tongue. So what we did was we lifted some of the lines, some of the verses from Martin Luther's Christmas hymn. And so the sermons this week, next week, and even Christmas Eve are all coming from uh, the pen of Martin Luther. Uh, Why are we doing that? Because the book of Romans is really what led to the Reformation, the Christian Reformation back in the 1500s. And we're celebrating the the 501st anniversary of the Reformation this year. So we have this Romans book with this Reformation theme, right? And and it's called Nail It Down, right? Which is what Martin Luther did. Uh, You know, he he nailed down his theses and, and changed the church and changed the world. This book, Romans, is really leading to a lot of revival in people in our church as they come back to the foundational truths of the faith. And Christmas is going to be no different. We're coming back to the foundational truths of Christmas. So the fact that we're even using a Christmas hymn uh, that people sang in the churches in the 1500s is pretty scandalous. I mean, it's pretty scandalous. When Luther began his work reforming the church, you have to understand, there was no congregational singing, all right? When you went to church before the Reformation, you were basically a spectator. You watched church happen as the priest did all the work. Maybe he sang a song or two. Maybe it wasn't in your native tongue. Okay, it was in Latin, so you had no idea what was being said. If you went to Spotify in the 1500s and searched up contemporary Christian music, there would be no results. Well, there'd be no Spotify, but you get my point. There was no singing. So for Martin Luther to get up one day after he, you know, started this whole process of changing everything and for him to announce, um, I, I, have, I have an idea. How about we all sing today? Now that, why don't you all gasp? I know you've never done this before, but we're, we're all going to sing. And we're all going to sing in our language. Don't worry, don't worry. I checked the Bible, and there was actually a lot of singing in the early church. Jesus sang. So it's okay. Don't feel guilty. Uh, We're all going to sing. Here's the thing, though. When Martin Luther wanted to begin this, there were no songs. None. So we have a letter that he wrote in 1523 to a a fellow friend of his asking for help. He said this. He said he asked help translating some psalms into hymns that can be sung. Our plan is to follow the example of the prophets and the ancient fathers of the church to compose psalms for the people in their speech, their vernacular, that is, spiritual songs, so that the word of God may be among the people also in the form of music. Therefore, we are searching everywhere for poets. Poets! Poets! We need poets! We have no music! None! So they started writing songs. I ask you to work with us in this project. Try to adapt any one of the psalms for use as a hymn, as you may see I've done as an example. Uh, in order to be understood by the people, keep it simple, and the most common words should be used for singing. So they have no music. He just starts writing it, starts writing it. He wrote many hymns, and he starts telling people, hey, are you gifted in writing songs? We need songs, all right, because we ran out of all of our music last week. We need new songs. What a joy now that we have one of these Christmas hymns written by Mark- Martin Luther himself, 
Uh, and, and we get to dig into it and learn of the theology into it. We've also been singing this song during Advent, uh, and, and so some of those verses came from, from that hymn. But why don't we pray, and then the sermon is called The Joy of All the Earth, Part 1. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have given us great songs today, great music, where we can lift our hearts to you, and uh, we were made to worship you. We know that it was said uh, that the Father seeks, desires worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. And for so long, for a thousand years, the church uh, closed the voices of God's people and, and forbade them from worshiping Christ. What a tragedy. But now, O oh Lord, our hearts are filled with joy and we overflow with an abundance of praise because Christ is the joy of all the earth. Show us your glory and show us why, Jesus, you are the joy of all the earth today. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can grab your bullets and notes. Uh, they're, they're, we're going to be in several passages today, and most of them will be projected on the screen. So you don't have to worry about racing around the Bible trying to follow me. But we will, we will kick things off in Luke 2. So if you wanted to open to a place, Luke 2 would be the place to go. Uh, what is it that makes Jesus the joy of all the earth? Um, well, if you uh, look at the hymn from Martin Luther that's in your bulletin, and keep that in hand too, because uh, I'm going to reference four or, or five of those verses today. Verse 2 says this, To you this night is born a child of Mary chosen virgin mild. This little child of lowly birth shall be the joy of all the earth. Now look down at verse 8. At verse 8 it says this, Welcome to earth, thou noble guest, through whom the sinful world is blessed. Thou comest to share my misery. What thanks shall I return to thee? This is a two-point sermon. The first point is going to take up most of the sermon. The second point is a little lighter. But the first point is this. Jot this down. What makes Jesus the joy of all the earth? What, why? Why is he the joy of all the earth? Why would we call him that? Why would we treat him? What makes him so special? And it says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, uh, the story that Martin Luther's Christmas hymn came from. The hymn basically walks us through Luke 2, 8. We begin as angels in the hymn. Uh, singing their part, and then we move on to shepherds who come and see the one-born king. So it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring, uh, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. That's the story that inspired the hymn written by Martin Luther. And it does answer the question, what makes Jesus the joy of all the earth. 
Verse 2 again says this, To you this night is born a child of Mary, chosen virgin mild. This little child of lowly birth shall be the joy of all the earth. Uh, write this down. Here's the first sub-point. Jesus is the joy of all the earth because he was virgin born. It mentions Mary, chosen virgin mild. Uh, uh, when it comes to what makes Jesus one of a kind, his virgin birth separates him from everyone else. His life began miraculously. His, his earthly life started in a heavenly manner. There has never been and will never be the account again of a virgin-born child. Uh, when it comes to this idea, it's completely unheard of and impossible. Maybe you took biology and learned about DNA and, and figured out how the, uh, you know, the, the genes have to come together, right? And they have to form all, the, all of these intricate bonds to form life. And if you don't have what the father provides, what the mother provides coming together, you can't have life. Jesus was virgin born. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. The virgin birth, his life beginning in a non-human way, is meant to signal that something heavenly is happening. Something heavenly is happening. Jesus was virgin born. He was therefore the heavenly son of God. God miraculously fathered this child. He, through the Spirit, placed this child miraculously in Mary's womb. Now, by, genetically, biologically, it's a marvel. We don't, know, we don't know what happened. We don't know how he took what Mary provided. We don't know how he wove together. We know he can because he's God. You know, it's, it's not like there's an angel up there with the biology textbook being like, oh, no, you can't do that. No, it's too complicated. You'll never get that done. God made the rules. So he rules the rules, and he can do what he wants. This isn't just a biological marvel, though. This is a spiritual wonder. Jesus was an eternal being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus never started existing. Okay, let me say that again. Jesus never started existing. When God shared his name to Moses, he said, tell them who? I, I am. I am. You're like, that's kind of a weird name. I don't see that one in the baby book. I am. Only God can call himself I am because only God is ever existing and self-existent. He needs nothing to live. He just always has been. Jesus never started existing. He's eternal. He's self-existent. And yet at a moment in time, he entered into our world. He entered into the womb of a righteous mother. This is breathtaking. The universe cannot contain the immensity of our God. If he truly came down into our universe, it would be consumed with his glorious fire, and we'd all be gone. When I preached through the story of Moses last year, Moses said, show me your glory. And do you remember that sermon? I said, thank God he didn't answer Moses with a yes. All right, because if God truly filled the universe with his glory, we would all be dust. But God showed him a tiny little bit of it. 
Remember what I showed you? I found this awesome thing online. It's called the Universe Sandbox. You can play with planets. It's awesome. Check it out. I, what I did was I brought the, the biggest known star in the universe, and I just brought it into our solar system. You're lucky that I'm not in charge of the universe, because you'd all be... Yeah, and so, you, I, you know, this is like, a, this is like a, a sci-fi guy's dream. You can just take... There's our sun right in the middle. You see our tiny little sun? And there's Earth floating. You see Earth? Little Earth floating. And if, if the biggest known star did just come for a little trip on vacation into our solar system, this, this program showed you what would happen to each planet. And it's like a million degrees Fahrenheit, two million degrees, oh, Earth is gone. And all the gravitational orbits are all gone. Okay, now look at that. This is what would happen if God said, let me show you something I made. What if God said, let me show you who I am? Whoa. And yet somehow, a universe that cannot even contain the blazing glory of a holy God received all of the fullness of his glory in a child. This is mesmerizing. Mary contained all the fullness of God in the person of Christ. In Colossians 1.19, it says this, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, this doesn't mean he was a mutant. I like X-Men. You like X-Men? I like the Avengers. It's all fun, right? But they're like mutants. Some of them are capital G gods, like Thor, right? Um, but they all have their limitations. And, and Jesus is not a mutant. He hasn't been genetically altered and he doesn't have a dash of divine on top of him. He's not like sprinkled with divinity, okay? He's 100% human, and he's 100% divine. 100% human and 100% divine. That makes him one of a kind. Jesus came bearing divinity in humanity. Therefore, he can connect heaven to earth. What makes Jesus the joy of all the earth? He brought heaven down to humanity. Only Jesus can do that. Only Christ, the Son of God, can bring heaven down to humanity. He's the joy of all the earth because he was virgin born. That's the first point. The second sub point you can jot down is this. Jesus was of lowly birth. Jesus was of lowly birth. It says, To you this night is born a child of Mary chosen virgin mild, this little child of lowly birth shall be the joy of all the earth. The scripture constantly highlights that Jesus didn't step down to the highest point of humanity, which he could have. He could have been like, all right, if I'm going down there, I'm going to need a throne. Uh, I'm going to need a palace. I'm going to need servants. I'm going to need power. Uh, that's what Satan tempted him with, right? Satan opened up that temptation to Christ. Jesus didn't just step down as little as possible. He went all the way down to this little backwoods hick town, uh, Bethlehem. Where? Where? I mean, Israel in the, in the age of the Roman Empire. Israel. And not only Israel, but Bethlehem. And then eventually Nazareth. Do you remember what Jesus' disciples, who would one day die for him, first said? Nazareth? He's from, he's from where? He's from Nazareth? Where? He was of lowly birth. Small town, no name. He was a nobody. 
He was of lowly birth. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was of lowly birth. We could spend six months on this passage alone. But the point is, what he did was, he didn't opt to keep his heavenly prerogative. He opted to set aside his divine right as the Son of God and to come down, to humble himself. Jesus was of lowly birth. This was God identifying with man at the lowest position of advantage, at the lowest position of protection. God relocated his son to obscurity. Jesus was not born a ruler, rich, powerful. He was not given the opportunity to be educated or insulated like the elite. He came down of lowly birth to identify with the common man. His life was spent with the shepherds, the shoemakers, the innkeepers. Stepping down means he refrained from exercising his divine powers at will. He submitted to his father above, and he subjected himself to human limits. That's what it means to step down. It doesn't mean that he completely let go of being God. Jesus didn't temporarily lose his divinity. He still had all of it as he displayed periodically in the Gospels. He still had omniscience. He still had omnipresence. He still had omnipotence. He had that. But he humbled himself and submitted that to the Father, subjected himself to human limits, and refrained from exercising his divine power at will. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it uses another illustration to describe that Jesus was of lowly birth. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So his whole coming down is described here in financial terms. He was rich. Heaven belongs to him. He was rich. For you, he became poor. He let it go. So that you might become rich. This is Christ's lowly birth. When it comes to Jesus being of lowly birth, I really want to drive this uh, home a little bit more. You would be nervous to let your newborn son go home with Mary and Joseph if you saw their house, if you saw their hands. You would be nervous to let your son go home with them. If they offered to adopt your child, you would probably say no. In the ancient world in general, they obviously didn't have the advantages that you and I have. No health care, no, no FDA no AC, no vaccinations, no car seats, no high chairs, no Purell, no diapers, no boppies, no bumpos, no binkies. Jesus didn't have what you have. The Heavenly Father released His Son into human hands. Poor hands, lowly, common, simple. Vacation? College? Plumbing, hot tub, Xbox, what? Cell phone, Walgreens, what are you talking about? 
Jesus humbled himself. God sent his son into the world of lowly birth. What makes Jesus the joy of all the earth? Well, he was virgin born, which makes him one of a kind, but he was of lowly birth, which makes him just like everyone else. He was, he was like no one else, and he was like everyone else at the same time. He is the joy of all the earth. Here's the next subpoint. Jesus came to share in our misery. Jesus came to share in my misery. Welcome to earth, verse 8. Welcome to earth, thou noble guest, through whom the sinful world is blessed. Thou comes to share my misery. What thanks shall I return to thee? Jesus came to share in our misery. He, he was of lowly birth, and God didn't protect him from the world. Okay, He wasn't bubble boy. He didn't walk around in a hamster bubble, right? He, he wasn't, he didn't have a shield around him, all right, for his whole life. He wasn't, he wasn't like Wolverine with, with super skeletons, so he would fall down and bounce right back up and get scratched and would heal right away. God didn't give him those powers. He, he came to share in our misery. He was really human. And, and all of the heresies in the church come from either di diminishing Jesus' humanity or diminishing his deity, meaning you would say he's not 100% God, almost. No, that's false. Or you'd be like, well, he wasn't really fully human. He was like this superman. No, he, no, he was human. Fully human. He, he coughed. He, he ate. He itched. He worked. God fully exposed his only heavenly son to the dangers of earth. He came to share in our misery. One of the, every year something new hits me about the Christmas story. For some reason this year, what's hitting me most is that Jesus said yes to having and needing a mom. He said yes to that. Now, mom's in the room. Let me just take a quick uh, unofficial poll here. At what age do you think your child begins to communicate to you that they don't think you're necessary anymore? <laughs> just throw an age out there, moms. So he said 15 months. <laughs> what, what, throw an age out there. 13, all right? So we've got, we've got some moms who are like, my two-year-old doesn't even think she needs me, right? She is making it very, she wants to dress herself and feed herself, and, right? How many of you have, have had a child like that? Where by two, they just want to take over the whole house. Yeah. Children are really good after living a very short amount of time of beginning to convey to you that you're no longer necessary. And definitely by 13, right? Just, just try and treat your 13-year-old like you treated your 13-month-old. Like, war will break out. And it's good. Kids are getting to the point where they're going to say, Mom and Dad, I've lived X amount of years, and I feel like at this point it's time for me to be independent. You are no longer necessary. Now, here's what's blowing my mind. Jesus is older than time. And then he says yes to Mom wiping his face. I've got a picture of a deer mom trying to help her little deer baby. Check this out. Little Bambi's there on the road. Doesn't want to move. And mom comes out like, honey, there's a car. Like, you've got to get up, okay? If you don't, see, it's right there. If you, if you don't get up, you're good. Come on, one foot in front of the other, and let's get out of the road. Come on. Okay. There's a little good dear mama getting her baby out of harm's way. 
Moms do a good job, don't they? In the animal kingdom and, and in the human kingdom. Moms do a really, really necessary job, right? Uh, and Jesus said yes to that. He said yes to that. Yes to being fed. Yes to being burped. Yes to being changed. Yes to being carried around. I mean, he really didn't have a leg up on any other human. He was, he was fully human. And then that humanity, that humanity led to him ultimately suffering and dying before his mother's eyes. Imagine the grief. Before his mother's eyes. He felt all of the pain of earth. He needed to be taught. He needed to learn to walk, to, to talk. He needed to learn. He said yes to all of that. In Isaiah 53, 3-4, it says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him stricken, uh, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. God's Son endured the brutal actualities of life. You know, Christmas is one of the most joyful times of the year. But Christmas is not just about being merry and happy and bright all day long. You really need to understand that Christmas is about God's answer to the world's problem with pain. Where is God when this happened in my life? Where is God when I'm suffering? Where is God when I'm lacking? Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God? Where is God? God's answer to the problem of pain is sending his son down to experience pain. Because of us, God suffers because of us, with us, and for us. This is his answer. God's son endured all the brutal actualities of life. Christmas is about God saying yes to experiencing our pain. I read a story about where a Christmas carol came from this week. The carol is, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and the story behind this Christmas carol is pretty amazing. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, was living uh, right when the Civil War broke out. What a bad year. What a terrible year for the Civil War to break out. It had already happened. And in the midst of all that turmoil in 1861, uh, Henry and his wife were raising their five children during the Civil War. And his wife was taking care of their children, and after, after trimming some of their seven-year-old daughter's beautiful curly hair, uh, she decided she wanted to preserve some of the hair clippings by, in sealing wax. So she lit a candle and began to put wax around the hair, and, and somehow the breeze came in, and you know the kind of dresses they wore back then. Her dress caught fire, and, and it went up in flames. And she ran out of the room, which only made the flames worse because she didn't want her children to get burned, ran to her husband. He tried to put out the flames. He couldn't. He jumped on top of her. He got severely burned, and the next day she passed away. He lost his wife, five children left to raise them alone, and the Civil War had just broken out. That was 1861. He kept a journal, and in his journal, Christmas of that year, he wrote, how inexpressibly sad are all holidays. I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. The following year was no better. His son ran off to join the army. 
and got wounded in the Civil War. He didn't die, but he got shot pretty well, and he got marred, went through a, a painful recovery process. And um, in 1863, he talked about how his eyes were consumed with grief. His journal fell silent in 1863. What a tragic three years. But it was in 1864 that he wrote this Christmas song. In 1864, he began to write. And the song says this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. The wild and sweet the words, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Given the uh, Civil War background, he wrote this. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. What a picture of the cannons of the Civil War silencing the sound of Christmas. And I think that reflected his heart and the heart of the nation. But then he wrote the last verse. It was as if an earthquake, uh, the last two verses, it was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He could have ended it right there. Hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But listen to what he said. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. This was written in the depth of agony. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. He found his praise again, and it was in a Christmas song. Wow. What a testimony of how we see that God is with us. He's with us in the valleys, and he's with us on the mountains. God's Son endured the brutal actualities of life so that he can know our life. What makes Jesus the joy of all the earth? Number one, he was virgin born. He was of lowly birth. He came to share in our misery. Number two, jot this down. The question is then, is Jesus your treasure and joy? Is Jesus your treasure and joy? Uh, it goes on to say in verse 10 of Martin Luther's Christmas song, a beautiful picture. Were earth a thousand times as fair, beset with gold and jewels rare, it yet were far too poor to be a narrow cradle, Lord, for thee. We sang this today. What a picture, though. He says, if earth was a thousand times more fair than it was when Jesus arrived, and you beset it with gold and rare jewels, like if all of us spent all of our money to decorate all the earth for Jesus to come, like every country went bankrupt because they, the one line item that, uh, that bankrupted every nation was Christmas decorations. All right? And imagine if every country spent all their money to get, to get the earth covered in gold. What a picture. It yet were far too poor to be a narrow cradle, Lord, for thee. Still too poor. Still too poor. He shows the divine value of the child by describing what the child deserves. More than everything that we could bring out. More than all of it. In Luke 1, 30-33, the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. 
and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of heaven. We can't, we can't decorate earth enough to welcome the king of heaven properly. What a portrait of the worth. Is Jesus your treasure and joy? Jesus would ask people questions from time to time, and one of the most penetrating questions he would ask, and he asked this question of everyone in the room. He said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Not, not who did your parents say I am. Not who did your grandpa say I am. Who do you say I am? And have you answered that question decisively yet? Have you answered that question publicly yet? If I ask the four people in your life who know you best, hey, hey, is Jesus Christ that person's treasure? Without hesitation, would they say yes? Or would they say, uh, uh, is Jesus your treasure and joy? Were earth a thousand times as fair, beset with gold and jewels rare, yet we're far too poor to be a narrow cradle, Lord, for thee. Jot this down. Worship Jesus because he's worthy of all glory. All glory. What an awesome image. I read that the largest diamond uh, that was ever discovered in North America was found in Canada just a few weeks ago. 552 carat yellow diamond discovered in Canada. Check it out. We've got a picture of it. For those of you still shopping for that special someone, the 552 carat yellow diamond discovered in Canada will be coming on the market soon. It was discovered in October, 135 miles south of the Arctic Circle in Canada's Northwest Territories. It's the largest diamond ever discovered in North America, far surpassing the previous record held by a 187 carat diamond. Uh, the gemstone was discovered. A diamond of this size is completely unexpected and marks a true milestone for this part of the world. So they will cut it, they will polish it, and they, they think that they don't know how much it will be worth, but what they know is the uh, previous record holder yielded two diamonds, and, and those went for $1.3 million, right? And this is like, what, about twice the size? So you're talking, you're talking millions of dollars here discovered. Precious jewel valued treasure, worth this much money. And, and yet, when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, he owns heaven. He owns heaven. People brag in our world about what they own, right? We've got five houses and a yacht. I own heaven. Winner! Well, well we just found this amazing diamond in North America. Can we give this to you? Oh, that's cute. You know, you know, in heaven, it says the whole foundations of this, like, thousand-mile-long city are made of diamonds, all right, and jewels, all of them. So that, that's cute. I'll find a place to stick that on to my city in heaven. Is Jesus your treasure? This is the point. Jesus is the treasure of heaven. He should be the treasure of your life. And therefore, it beckons for a response. Verse 14 of the Christmas hymn will close out, says this, My heart for very joy doth leap, my lips no more can silence keep. I too must sing with joyful tongue that sweetest ancient cradle song. Jot this down. Bring Jesus a grateful heart and a joyful song. Bring Jesus a grateful heart and a joyful song. Who is Jesus? He is the King of heaven. 
He is the Savior, God the Son, who stepped out into this world to save us. Let me read from Revelation 5, 13 to 14, where it says this. This is in the future. It says this, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is, To him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's God the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So all the creatures in heaven and on earth are pictured here as worshiping the Son of God in heaven. My question to you is, do you worship him? Do you worship Christ because he died on the cross for you? Because he came down from heaven for you? Because he rose again and rules now at the Father's right hand? Have you invited Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? This is what Christmas is all about. Let earth receive her king. This is not just a bedtime story. This is not just a traditional myth. This is your king come down to reclaim the throne in your heart that is rightfully his. Have you stepped off the throne in your heart, gone to the manger, fallen down to worship like the wise men, and invited Jesus to rule your life? If not, I want to give you that chance to do that this morning. We're going to pray right now, then we're going to sing a song, but the service will not be over. Because then we're going to sit back down and three people are going to get baptized. Isn't that exciting? All right. Well, let's bow our heads and, cl- and pray right now. Father, I know there are some right here who perhaps have not invited Jesus, the one born king, to be king of their lives. And I just pray right now that some in their own hearts would say, Father, forgive me for my many sins. Forgive me for not welcoming the Son of God into my heart. Forgive me like Bethlehem for having no room for him. But now and here I invite Jesus to be my treasure, to be my king, to be my savior. Fill me with the joy of salvation and help me to know the wonder of God's son who came down to share in my misery, to help me and to lead me to heaven forever. I pray that those who are calling out to you would be saved right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.